Hello everyone and welcome to the audio version of the Green Room's latest webinar, Embracing Neurodiversity, Designing for Inclusion in the Workplace. In this audio, you'll have the opportunity to hear from our expert panel discuss today's topics. To kick things off, Chloe Lovett, our Senior Product Manager for Furniture at Lyrico, will walk us through each section of the webinar. Following Chloe, you'll hear from Steve Weston, Head of Core Office at Lyrico, who will talk about the significance of this topic for businesses today. Whether you're joining us for the first time or revisiting the webinar for a deeper dive, sit back, relax and enjoy episode two of The Green Room. Hello everyone and welcome to The Green Room. I'm thrilled to kick off today's session, Embracing Neurodiversity, Designing for Inclusion in the Workplace in Collaboration with OSEAN4 Design. In part one, we'll explore the essence of neurodiversity and the science behind cognitive diversity. Next, we'll focus on the principles of inclusive design in the workplace. We'll talk about the key considerations when designing for neurodiverse individuals and practical steps businesses can take. Finally, in part three, we'll discuss the advantages of an inclusive workplace and how fostering a thoughtful work environment can promote overall mental health. Now, more than ever, this topic is crucial. Recent findings by ADHD Aware shed light on the fact that 15% of the population is thought to be neurodiverse. Where diversity can be our greatest asset, it's imperative that we create environments where individuals can bring their unique strengths to the table. And we're here today to learn just that. You might be wondering why Lyrico isn't among today's panellists. That's a deliberate choice. We're not here to be the experts, we're here to learn alongside all of you. While we do a lot in the realm of diversity and inclusion, we firmly believe that the journey of learning is limitless. Just like you, we're here to listen, engage, and soak in all the wisdom our panel has to offer. It's now time to hand over to one of our panelists who will launch today's discussion. Without further ado, it's over to you, Claire. Oh, thanks, Chloe. Um, I'm Claire Williams, Group Creative Director at OC Design, and we're delighted to host this event today. And I'd just like to welcome the ladies with me for a really great discussion. Hi, I'm Tony Horn. I'm the founder of Think Differently Coaching. Um, I'm a neurodiversity consultant and coach, and thank you for having me today. Hi, I'm Dr. Jo Carlisle. I'm a clinical psychologist and neurodiversity specialist. Okay, so perhaps we'll start by defining neurodiversity. Yeah, I guess for me, it definitely feels like just thinking about it really simply, like how is our brain wired? And I think about we think about the planet, like biodiversity and the way that the ecosystem thrives. You have all these different kind of species and plants. And I feel like that's the same with humans. We're all wired slightly differently. And it's dependent on genes and temperament and personality, experience, trauma, culture, like where we live, where we work. And sometimes I feel like we overcomplicate it a bit. It's just literally that we're all quite different and we should be celebrating that, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, we're all completely different. And I think sometimes people want to put people in a box. Mm. But if, if we were to explain neurodiversity in the medical terms, though, what would you say the, um, you know, if somebody wanted to understand what sat within under that umbrella, what would you say they were? Yeah, so I guess you're right. Within that neurodiversity kind of wider holistic sphere, there's the medicalized model, which is more about assigning labels according to kind of a tick box system of traits and symptoms and things that someone might be struggling with and within that that's where you get your autism your ADHD your dyslexia dyscalculia OCD is often kind of put in that framework 
Um, and kind of that's the group of diagnostic labels that some people can achieve through getting support. And it's in some ways there's real benefits to that for some people having that label and identifying with those traits is really comforting and it can like really define the way that people want to be seen and be thought of. And then for other people, they actually, they'll struggle with those labels and they'll much rather prefer to sit in a more um, general space of a neurodiverse field and they, they might describe themselves just individually. Because I guess the other thing to think about when we think about neurodiversity is if you have a neurodivergent mind, which is the label that people use if you have a like a diagnosis of something, then your, di your neurodivergent mind is probably very different to someone else's mm. neurodivergent mind. Yeah. So yeah. someone with a diagnosis of autism means they tick a certain level um, of symptoms, but what I, that looks like for that person is really different because of all the other things that is impacted by neurodiversity. Yeah, I think when you, when you look at an outset, so, you know, if we think about neurodivergence, someone with ADHD will see the world differently to somebody who is autistic and to somebody who doesn't represent any of those. Mm. So if you think about it, when we look at when we look at neurodiversity, everyone is seeing the world through a different lens. Mm. That's how I like to see it. My lens is different to your lens and your lens is different to Joe's mm. lens. Mm. Um, and then we, the way that we experience the, the world around us, the way we experience and think is, is different. Um, you know, someone with dyslexia also sits under that umbrella mm. as well. Mm. Um, you know, if you think 10% of the population um, are dyslexic. Yeah. Um, and there is still a stigma towards, because of past education, mm. that if you have, you know, if there's grammar errors in your emails mm. or your mm. spelling or your vocabulary is not as, as good as somebody else's, mm. um, that you're less intelligent, mm. which is utterly not the case. Mm. You know, so my dyslexia and my autism will be different to somebody else's mm. experience of autism and dyslexia. Mm. Mm. I know we were chatting earlier that, you know, I talk about my experience, how different I am to my son. Mm. And it's his experience to mine is completely different mm. to his. Mm. So I think it's really important for people to understand that it's not just a label. Mm. The labels are there to protect people. Mm. They're there in the workplace to protect them under the Equality mm. Act. For languages and, you know, exactly. helping people communicate. Yeah, yeah, but it's also to make people aware that, you know, they're entitled to have a reasonable adjustment at work. Mm. So, you know, they can go if they feel supported in the workplace mm. that they can go and ask for adjustments and say, mm. actually, if you do this a little bit different for me, mm. that's going to make my life a little bit easier. Mm. Mm. Um, it's not just about, you know, I think it's good to understand that there is challenges that come with being neurodivergent, but there's also a brand of strengths yeah. that come with that. Yeah. As well. But do you think people in general, do you think they understand what neurodiversity is? Because it's it's a term at the moment that's used mm, so much, isn't it? And there's a real momentum building and that's really encouraging. But I still think some people aren't always clear about what it means, I guess. No, and I think, every, like I say, everyone's experience is different, okay? Mm. All our brains work. I like to say, you know, everyone's thumbprint's different. Mm. Yeah. And so are our brains. Yeah. Yeah. So my experience as well, it, it does come from you were saying at the beginning, you know, um, differences, people's life experiences yeah. can mm. impact the way that you act and you think, not mm. just your neuro differences as well. Mm. So, you know, somebody could have a right, a set path for them and somebody else wouldn't. Yeah. You mm. know, um, I think the term 
people do tend to go, okay, so if you have autism, you sit within this box. You don't yeah. particularly like to communicate. You might be very dry. Mm. You haven't got a sense of humour. Mm. I've heard that a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you, you know, it, somebody who has ADHD is that naughty child mm-hmm. in the yeah. class. Yeah. And it's those those past education stigmas mm. that have stuck mm. that kind of that's what we're trying to get away from mm. let's get out of the stigma box yeah let's yeah. come away from that because yeah. you know if you give if you give somebody um, with autism a, 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 a focus on something they're really passionate about they're going to hyper focus they're going to give you the detail they're going to give you all the information that you need yeah 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 if you if you look at somebody with ADHD who, you know, they could hyper-focus into something that they're really, you know, their energy's there and they can actually roll up the room yeah. and go, right, okay, so let's get all these ideas mm. together. You know, they could be drawing mm. on, you know, whiteboards and, yeah. and somebody who doesn't think like that yeah. could be sitting looking at it thinking, yeah. what was that? And I think that's where if you move away from, you know, like we said, the medical model's really useful when you think about language and you think about people getting a, a real sense of, um, empowerment from a diagnostic mm, yeah. process. For some people, it is mm. really vital, mm. but it, the medical model still suggests there's an impairment or there's mm. a disorder or mm. there's a weakness or mm. a vulnerability and the shame that comes with that. Mm. You know, I see that a lot in mm. the work that I do. Mm. And actually, if we do shift more towards what you're talking about, that strengths model, and you think about, you know, if you're thinking about yourself as an individual, like this is my personality, this is the way my brain is wired, mm. this is like what my values are, this mm, is my culture, yeah. and actually what are my strengths in all of that? Mm. Where is my superpower? You know, because people, particularly people who have neurodivergent minds, they're actually the ones that think outside the box. Yeah. They're the ones that are progressive and inventing mm. things and creating new ways of thinking and being. And lots of founders out there, like high, high levels of founders have ADHD diagnosis because mm. they're the ones that are out there risk taking, thinking mm. about like what's next, like what, what's the next thing we've got to be moving towards. Mm. And I feel like more and more people are talking about neurodiversity with that like light, you know, shine the light on the positive and mm. the strengths rather than putting it in that impairment disorder sort of like mm. narrative. Mm. I think that brings us quite nicely onto inclusive design. Mm. You know, Claire, that's your, you specialise in that. Yeah. What do you think that the workplace can do to consider designing an inclusive workplace for, for those who are neurodivergent? Uh, we're really keen on trying to support our clients and our customers in creating workplaces that will never be a barrier to inclusion. So if the built environment becomes a barrier to people coming to work, that's the problem. I think the difficulty we've touched on in this is it's such a wide uh, spectrum Mm. and no one, you know, that's saying if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. And I think it's difficult. I think the biggest thing for us is that understanding that you can be oversensitized or undersensitized. So in the workplace, if you need firing up, you need to have spaces that will help you fire up and will help Mm. you, you know, in the same way they, you know, do different things with tunable light. One will wake you up, you know, blue light will wake you up. Those custard filtered lights will calm you down. Mm. And in the workplace, that's one of the most important things. It's understanding that some people need to be hyped up. You know, some people will seek stimulation, some will avoid. So you need to have a workplace that will support those that seek it, those that are trying to avoid it. And I think it's about autonomy. You know, Mm. it's, 
I think it's one, it's about autonomy and giving people the ability to control their environment. But more importantly, it's about, I'm a great believer in affordance. So if you clearly demonstrate what a space can do for you without having to say it, mm. you know, without having to put a label saying this is a quiet place when you need to be quiet yeah. or this is a place for people who get a bit hyper or whatever it may be, because people will do that. They'll mm. call it a quiet room. Mm. Um, if you can just create spaces and we try and design spaces where they clearly communicate what something's for without having to communicate it. Yeah. So a space like this is very much about open conversation. Mm. So what you're saying with your body language and the way we place furniture is we're open to conversation. Mm. If you sit in a booth, you're very clearly saying, I don't want to speak to anyone and I need to close myself off. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for designing for inclusion is allowing people to make choice and allowing people the spaces that they don't have to actively seek out yeah. quiet space. And they don't have to say, you know, one of the things in one of these new design standards for inclusion that's, that's, that's just come out just recently is you need to create quiet and restorative spaces, but they need to be spaces that people can access whenever they reach yeah. a heightened sense of emotion or anxiety. Yeah. So it shouldn't be bookable space where somebody's got a meeting room. There should be enough of them yeah. and they shouldn't have to hunt them out. Because I just know from personal experience, if I am beginning to get triggered, yeah. I need to move away from it straight away. Yeah. I don't want to be waiting outside a meeting room hoping yeah. that yeah. I don't want to have to go to the loo yeah. and wait in the loo until I feel yeah. I've calmed down. So I think it is about allowing people the option to step away. And but also how you how you talk about the communication is so mm. important, isn't it? Because you're yeah. right, like you people can't communicate in that moment. Once, Absolutely once your not. thinking brain's been dis disaligned exactly. and you're in that kind of fight or flight, Absolutely. you can't communicate. So no. I love the idea of environments already communicating exactly. that for you. Like you and say, you're in the a, booth. We have a, um, a, a unit here, which is actually, it's a standalone unit on wheels. And mm. where it's great, it's got a canopy over the top. Yeah. And so where it's great, it completely nurtures you like a little nook or a window yeah. seat. But you actually have the ability to unlock the casters and turn it around. Yeah. So, you know, if you really don't feel like interacting yeah. and communicating non-verbally that you're there yeah. to talk, you yeah. just turn it around. Yeah. So I think it's that ability to control your space but also it has to work with the business you work for. So they have to accept mm. that if someone comes in and turns a unit round, we were talking about this earlier. You know, my son in school was expected to communicate yeah. disingenuous politeness. Mm. You know, my son is uh, has got Asperger's and his communication is, I will communicate when I need yeah. to, mm. but not if I don't need to. Mm. And and I'll smile if somebody smiles at me and there's a reason to smile, but yeah. I won't just smile. Yeah. And I think that's the thing in work. It can't be, oh, well, that person's a little bit miserable because they don't want to talk to me today. Mm. And that's where I think sometimes having these this um, diagnosis is comforting because we talked about this earlier. For yeah, me, yeah. I struggled all through the 80s and 90s not understanding why I didn't fit in. Yeah. And that in turn impacted on my mental health and made me make poor choices. Yeah. As soon as I got my diagnosis, it was, I get this yeah. now. This and I thing. feel mm. okay yeah. because I can own this. Yeah. And I can actually say, now I get why. Yeah. So now I understand when I come into the workplace, I'm not great on bench working. I'm not great... Uh, being open and available all the time. I like to be able to step away. Yeah. And I think that's what good design should do. 
So the companies that, that you're working with that are integrating these like yeah. furniture designs, I guess yeah. what you're also talking about is the integration because yeah. you can buy a token booth exactly. or you can buy this stuff, but exactly. if you're actually prepared to allow people yeah. the privacy in the space, yeah. like are, are companies doing that? Are, are people integrating it yeah. to that level? They are, because leading up to this point, we had this thing, activity-based working, which mm. was all about you go to the area that supports the activity you're doing. Yeah. And that sort of... Uh, has morphed into supporting neurodiversity. So it is about there need to be different spaces for different levels of interaction mm. and communication. Mm. And I think they're drilling down into the more practical um, considerations now. So lighting, mm. yeah. wayfinding, that's really important. You need to make it really clear how people can move around. Mm. Um, you need to have spaces where particular colours will switch you on and fire you up and you use those in moderation. Lots of calming colours will calm you down. I think, you know, the thing, pink is the most relaxing colour. So uh, research says in spaces for calming people who are on the autistic spectrum, not suggesting for one minute you have everything in pink, mm. but it is about colour. really on brand yeah, now. <laughs> exactly. And it's about things like smell. Mm. So some of the clients I speak to can't understand why some people don't interact or work well in spaces close to the kitchen. And it's because you've got the smell of curry. It will People who are avoiding will avoid those strong smells. They will avoid the, the sound of people loading and unloading a dishwasher. Because yeah. it's very jarring. Mm. So it's talking to people about saying it's not just the product. It's yeah. not just colour. Yeah. It's sound. It's smell. Yeah. It's the touch of things. Yeah. Yeah. So we work very well. We, we do a lot of work on texture. Mm. So those hard, cold surfaces, try and avoid them if you can. Mm. You know, go back to colours that you find in nature. Mm. Go back to mm. try and avoid highly textured things. And it's those practical, especially when we talk to people about designing education spaces. You know, we speak to quite a lot of architects about designing for university spaces and key stage one and two classrooms. And that's all about the real practical things. Okay, how do we, what sort of desking should we have? Do we give kids the ability to move around? Mm. And, you know, and the simple thing, if some people who are ADHD and or on the autistic spectrum, we were talking about this earlier, yeah. you feel the need to move around when you're starting yeah, to fidget. get stressed. Yeah. So you move about. And if you put a child behind a static desk with no opportunity to move around, yeah. and I've seen it, they will end up pushing a desk yeah. because they need to be able to let out Rock that anxiety. Mm. So it's the practical mm. things we help with as much as the aesthetics, I would say. And also, if we think about the idea of going back to that holistic neurodiversity yeah. as a whole, yeah. actually anyone's mind in any given moment can present as neurodiverse Absolutely. or neurodivergent because exactly. someone may well need to be fired yeah. up or may need to be de-stimmed or you've yeah. had a rough day exactly. or you've had a rough week and I guess if businesses are investing in this you are yeah. actually investing in everyone. And I think we we always frame it, I always frame it when I go and talk to people is if we look at the word normal, the word normal yeah. gets applied all ah. the time. And actually the word normal is was a mathematical term. Yeah. It was a way to describe a right angle. So why <laughs> has a mathematical term now been applied to the human condition? And why mm. do we frame everything? Why do we look through the lens of what's mm. normal? Because none of us, what is normal? No. And none of We're us all are different. normal. No. And I wouldn't want to be mm. normal. Mm. And so what happens is you have these, everything is designed for neurotypical people, mm. whether it's onboarding at work, mm. whether it's going to school. Mm. And so what you, the workplace can serve as, as a place, if it's well designed, yeah. where mm. there isn't normal, yeah. it's just we all cut like a jigsaw. A yeah. jigsaw isn't 
straight yeah. sides. Yeah. It's lots of different shapes. Yeah. And without that, you couldn't make the jigsaw. And yeah. I do think that's what design can do. It can just say, mm. there is no normal. Yeah. This is a space where all of us feel equal and included and able to, and want to come to work. Mm. And when you don't want to come to work, you don't have to come to work, yeah. you can work well, somewhere else. And actually, you think about, sorry, did you want No, I was just going to say, it's also, I think, when you're looking at working environments as well, if I look at someone like myself, I used to have a particular desk. Yeah. I liked my desk to Same. be where it was. Exactly. I didn't want to hop desk. I didn't no. want to move. Mm. I had my things. Yeah. And that's what made me feel comfortable coming into work. Yeah. If I came into work and someone's sitting at my desk, yeah. it would ruin my day. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. But I think it's good from the point that you were saying as well, is that normalising those conversations that that's just not a quiet place. So, you know, Tony's going to go in there, but we all know why Tony's going in yeah. there because she's having a bad day. Yeah. But actually anybody can use Absolutely. it. So if somebody's not comfortable with um, disclosing their diagnosis yeah, yeah, in the yeah. workplace, they they don't ultimately do that because they've gone into that that yeah. little pod. Absolutely. And people go, oh, they must be neurodivergent. Yeah, yeah, but actually everybody's using it because yeah. everybody, whether yeah. you're neurodivergent or not, get stressed at some Absolutely. point or has anxiety and might just want mm. to get away from everybody well, for five minutes. What's really interesting, we did a piece of ethnographic research a few years ago with WeWork where we went and watched how people engage with their spaces at various locations. And at the time, I don't know if they still had them, but they had prayer rooms. Mm. So they had these little booths with curtains and lovely lighting where people could go if they wanted to have some time uh, to pray. That's mm. literally what they were for. And they actually said that's not what people were using them for. They were actually using them to go and decompress yeah. and just have quiet time. Yeah. But what, so they stopped calling them prayer rooms because what was happening, people were thinking, well, are you really devout and you're going into this place? Mm. No, mm. I just need to decompress. And yeah. So they realised exactly what you say. Yeah. They don't need to label it. They no, just yeah. need to give people the opportunity yeah. to de-stress. I mean, I guess, Tony, you, you see it a lot in the work that you do, the impact that it has yeah. when workplaces are not designed yeah. in a neuroaffirming way. Yeah, I mean, if I look at if if I look at the advantages and the disadvantages, right? So I I always say to people when I go and do speaks and and, and go out to organisations and talk about it, I don't want to be doing my job in ten years time. Mm -hmm. I want my children to be able to walk into a workplace where it's all completely inclusive. They don't have to talk about you know whether they're neurodivergent or not. Mm, yeah. It's a case of mm. okay, they've got the they're equipped to help me thrive mm. within my work. They've got the technology they need. I can see the space that they've got mm. they allow me to work from home when when particularly I might not feel comfortable traveling etc mm. um, and when you present you kind of you notice a change within the room and you'll see some people that will just instantly click and go I get it mm. actually my leadership needs to change because mm. what she's saying I'm not being very inclusive yeah. in the way that I'm I'm doing things mm. or you'll see somebody go actually I connect with everything that she's mm. saying and I think that might be me. Mm. And what happens in that moment is that you start going on a self-discovery. Mm. And I think it's really important if you're going to embrace neurodiversity in the workplace, that you have the space to give people the, the support. Mm. So, you know, I think um, employment, employment groups are really good support networks mm. for like-minded people that mm. have shared same experiences where they can go and have a conversation mm -hmm. and talk about some of the challenges they may face mm -hmm. or talk about some of the things that they, you know, I, when I did this 
um, previously, you know, we can laugh about the things that we can find challenging that, that can really upset us sometimes. Mm -hmm. But sharing that experience with somebody else can be mm -hmm. really enlightening. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you're not alone anymore. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to, if you're going to be more inclusive, to have those support networks mm. in place is really important mm. um, so people can share and, and just talk mm. as well and I think there are real practical things again and I think what people want who especially organizations that are trying to be inclusive yeah. they want tangible things they can do yeah so if you go in I can go in and talk to some architects about how you create beautiful, inclusive spaces, but they'll actually say, but tell me five things I should be doing. Mm -hmm. And you give them, you say, you know, on a glass meeting room, don't have manifestations that are horizontal lines because for some people they see them as fast moving train tracks. So have more fractal patterns mm -hmm. and they'll go, oh great, well, we'll do that, tick that yeah. box. Yeah. And they actually want, right, you know, don't have lots and lots of these affirmation walls with lots and lots of words on, because again, that can be incredibly distracting. Mm. And I think the point is, if you bring it back to, if you create inclusive spaces in the workplace, your outcomes will be better. Yeah. And actually what people want to hear at the risk of being cynical is, your business outcomes will be better. Yeah. You will earn more money. Yeah. Your people will be more productive. And actually what it is, they will, yeah. because you'll yeah. attract a wider group of people to come and work for you yeah. because they'll see you as being inclusive and open. Yeah. You will support people being in work. And also you get that, that combination of all the great things that this diverse community can yeah. bring. And we talked mm. about that. Mm. I'm a very creative person, but, you know, a bit sort of lots of pens and big pieces of paper. My son is completely pragmatic, sees everything black and white mm. and cuts emotion from everything he does. Mm. But what it means is in my role as a creative, I think I'm better at my job because I'm neurodiverse. My son, who's a firearms officer, is better at his job yeah. because he does not yeah. react in stressful situations. Yeah. And I think that's the point. It is. We all come together and are better for having yeah. these different ways of looking at life and that's what it brings to the workplace you think about that and you know if you're going to create a business yeah. you're going to have all the people around the table yeah. you're going to need people that sit in their own areas of strengths exactly. to bring all the different perspectives you've got finance creative people marketing communication all of those people will be needing to sit together yeah. and how they sit at that table and what it looks like the freedom that that needs to be able to give people in order that they thrive you know i see it a lot in the businesses I work with, like if you integrate a culture right from the top sure. that says, you know, we're here, we prioritize you as humans, that yeah. includes the way that you think, the way that you work, the way that yeah. you plan, the way that you deal with stress, mm -hmm. what's going on for you at home is really important. Like, mm -hmm. let's like destigmatize all of that. The thriving community that you create and then ultimately business mm -hmm. is, is transformational, really. Yeah. If you think about GCHQ, okay, is our, our terrorist. They, you know, they yeah. stop terrorists from hitting the UK. Yeah. They actually actively promote that they seek neurodivergent yeah. individuals because they can see insignificant patterns and problems. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they actively seek this because they can see these 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 patterns in front of them. Mm -hmm. If something is not where it should be, they will spot they it, spot it. Mm. straight yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to kind of embrace that, yeah, yeah. you know, mm. within your workplace because. You know, non-linear thinkers, you give them something and go, right, go away and resolve this. 
and you you can see it and they go why would he have yeah mm. Mm. The, exactly the pattern has changed yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. where your issue lies it makes me think of the hunter farmer model of mm. adhd which is really lovely because you think about the ADHD brains of the world and they're mm. the people that are out there. They, they were originally the hunters. So they mm. were kind of like, you've got to be fast thinking. You've got to be able to adapt really quickly. Mm. Yeah. You're on to mm. the next thing. You work in kind of short bursts. Mm. And then you've got the farmers of the world that are much more methodical and like routine and like structure and put each of those in their environments and they're going to be amazing. Exactly. Swap them over yeah. and expect them to work really rigidly in, in, in that environment. They're not kind of born to be in and you just won't get the same productivity and you'll get a lot of mental health issues Absolutely. a lot of stress yeah I mean I, I I give somebody an example once of how you know just by giving somebody um you know somewhere a different space to work in because they can use their assistive technology so for example someone with dyslexia may have a text-to-speech software mm. so they want to dictate their work yeah. now I use this software and um, a report that used to take me two hours Mm. The minute I got text to speech, that report yeah. took me twenty minutes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. instantly, it's made my life better. Yeah, I was able to take myself off into a quiet space and do it because you don't want to dictate in an open plan space. Yeah. But my productivity tripled because yeah, mm. yeah. a two-hour report then mm. took me twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. So I was yeah. able to get more work done, yeah. which then made me feel better as an individual. Yeah, you know, and that positivity then came out, and I thought, actually, you know what I'm doing a good job. So it yes. has a constant impact on yeah. your emotion and your your well-being. Yeah. And I think too, we t we touched on COVID and everybody having to be at home, and even if you mm. uh, didn't have any struggles with with balance in your life and, and, and getting that, that lovely equilibrium. Everybody was pushed during COVID. Yeah. And I think it pushed us all home and everybody found different pain points with that. And I think, you know, everybody talks about getting people back into the office. And yes, okay, there are lots of business reasons to get people back into the office. But I do believe if you are neurodiverse, you may be, so for example, I like being on my own. I like being in my office. I yeah. like shutting the door. I like being on my own. But having said that, the more I am on my own, week after week, month yeah. after month, the more it feeds that challenge I have. Yeah. And so if I come into work and engage in the workplace with people who don't have that, they are challenged or they struggle with different things, it makes me reevaluate, and I think, okay, yeah. it hasn't been that bad. And yeah. it's that whole thing of if work can stop you going too far the other way. Mm -hmm. So work is a huge place for social interaction, isn't it? Yeah. Most of us form friendships from work. We yeah. spend most of our lives in work. Yeah. And if the workplace can facilitate being sociable when you want to, yeah. Yeah. go back to that thing. If you have a day of being sociable in the office and that absolutely drains your batteries, yeah but you've had a day in the office. Yeah. But if when you go to the office, it doesn't work for you and yeah. you're not given freedom and you're not given choice and there are so many triggers yeah. for you, whatever those triggers may be, mm. you're not going to engage with work. Yeah. And that's when the built environment stops us being inclusive without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, it's about having that balance, isn't it? Yeah, it's, for me, I always talk about with my clients, it's the middle. You've yeah. always got to think of the middle. Like yeah, yeah. if you go too far one way, it, it, something doesn't work. You go too far the other way, something doesn't work. But when you're anchoring in that middle and everyone's individual middle is different. Yeah. So as long as your company is flexible enough to encompass everyone's middle, you'll kind of get the balance right. Exactly. Mm. And I think the biggest progression is that I've noticed is in education. So my son is 25. When he was at, 
infants and junior school, exactly what you said, Tony, ADHD yeah. kids were the naughty kids. Yeah. Kids on the... Usually boys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On the autistic oh. spectrum were antisocial. Yeah. Um, and it was ju and they were difficult. They were difficult kids. Oh, they're struggling to learn to read or write. They won't smile. Special they won't needs. engage. Exactly. They fidget in the classroom all the time. And what I'm noticing is I've got friends whose kids are at juniors, infants now, and they don't have the same challenges. So mm. it's definitely schools are being built uh, more to accommodate difference yeah. now. And yeah. that's filtering into university life. So the way they're onboarding kids at university is yeah. improving. Yeah. And that goes back to a commercial thing. You know, universities are businesses. They're trying to get as many students to keep those businesses ticking over. Yeah. And neurodiversity is one of the ways they can embrace and take on a whole new set of students. Yeah. But for me, talking to people who are designing those spaces, there is definitely it's it really is changing mm. in a way we didn't have when I was young. Oh, I feel so encouraged by that because so much of the narratives that I speak to when I'm talking about people yeah. who particularly ha are having a late diagnosis, yeah. that for them it has started in school. It has started yeah. when they're put into this environment that says, you must learn like this, exactly. you must do this at exactly. this time. And if you're not doing this, there's something wrong with you. Exactly. And actually, I love the idea of it starting then, you know, furniture yeah. starting then, Absolutely. right, really early on. And little things like giving them and it's the same in work if you give mm. someone a piece of furniture that moves that twists around yeah. it can make the difference between your agitation levels being like yeah. a coke can and you explode yeah. when you yeah. take the, like the ring off yeah or you thinking no i'm fine i can yeah. i can own this, this now is regulating me completely yeah. and that's what you know i'm seeing more in the way they design schools in the way they design and you know we'll have customers who'll say to us if we only bought one thing to support neurodiversity in the workplace, what would we buy in terms of furniture? And we always say, buy a chair on casters, if you can have like a little tablet that you can move in and out. Mm. So you're giving people the ability to move around. Yeah. And in education, in, in university, it's even more important. Mm. You know, if kids have actually got the ability to come together in groups physically and move themselves together in small groups and then move themselves away, there is you know, there is actual statistics and research that shows kids learn better that way when you give them flexible spaces. Yeah. yeah. And that's definitely, we're seeing that now. And actually, that's why coming here today and talking from all of our each different perspectives mm. has been really lovely because you hear exactly how it all inter interlinks. Yeah. And ultimately, hopefully this is going to reach people who are going to be in these positions to make these changes and think about what they're doing for their teams and their businesses. Absolutely. and Yeah. 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 Um, so I think we've actually got some questions from the audience and one of them is, could you provide an example of clinic design and how healthcare can uh, facilitate and can create more comfortable environments? And I think, Claire, that'll be more a question for you. Um, so I would say we touched on us a little bit about the practical things you can do. I think healthcare, a lot of it's about lighting. So it's about... Um, creating, uh, using lighting like tunable white light, which uses, uh, it goes from a very blue light up to a very yellow light and one wakes up the brain, like looking at your phone, you look at your mobile and your brain wakes up. Sunsets tend to make you calm down. It's all to do with colour. So I think healthcare facilities, it's about about lighting and there's nothing worse also than blinking light you know mm. if you have one of those light panels yeah, or yeah. a tube light something as simple as that can trigger mm. someone off 
I think also what's what's interesting, I was in doctor's surgery the other day and their waiting rooms, they have four, they're all different colours and they do this great thing with wayfinding that they say to you, you go to the green waiting room and the carpet tiles are green leading mm. to the green waiting nice. room. Mm. So if you have uh, challenges with reading or, you know, just your awareness, spatial awareness, you just follow this green colour. So colour's really key. Yeah. And I think also that connecting with uh, nature, uh, bringing the outside in. So it's sort of steps and moves towards biophilic design in that you know, nature calms us down. And we've talked about uh, patterns found in nature, colours found in nature. Also in healthcare environments, they've proven if you can give people access to views outside, that makes a huge yeah. difference to your mental well-being. And I um, guess the, what you're saying about the colour pink, because I'm yeah. thinking in a clinic space, yeah. if someone might be, if, especially if you're thinking like a psychology clinic, yes. you might want people to be calm, exactly. people to be feeling quite contained. So I'm exactly. guessing the pink kind of spectrum yeah. is going to be good there. I think, and, and it's also, I think, sound, lots of healthcare environments are noisy and mm. there's lots of um, sudden uh, repetitive sound. And, you know, I think I can only speak from my own experience, but if something, so in a hospital, for example, if there's a constant bleep of something because it's not been turned off, my anxiety levels rise and rise and rise. And if I can't walk away from it, I find that quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all the things, it's sound, it's, um, and also healthcare environments can be lots of shiny surfaces, shiny cold surfaces. Mm. They don't work mm. for everyone. Mm. You have to have them from a hygiene point of view, but I think you have to accept that there will be different outcomes in those spaces than perhaps if you're going somewhere that's more relaxed and, yeah. you know, that sort of cosy, warm, costed feeling you're not going to have um, in a clinical space, I would suggest. I think when you come, you say sound as well, though, I think it's also important, you know, when you're in a, a large environment, whether a hospital, mm. you know, corporation, mm. is to have actual born people if there's going to be things like fire drills yeah, and excessive loud noises, because yeah. that can be very, very triggering and they can cause yeah. anxiety in some people. So if you have anything planned like that, it's making sure that you're communicating that out yeah. mm. with absolutely everybody so they can prepare themselves for it. Absolutely. You know, if you've got a child that's walking into, into a doctor's and all of a sudden there's a fire drill, yeah. You know that that's going to cause all sorts of yeah. anxiety and outbursts potentially yeah. from that individual because it's it's unexpected and yeah. he, it hasn't been planned for him yeah. or her. What um, people don't understand either is that anxiety, that sort of meltdown is it's yeah. your it's your nervous system Absolutely. dysregulating, yeah. isn't Absolutely. it? And that's what you're talking about there is how can you ensure and reduce yeah. the likelihood? Yeah. And we've got a question, another question that's linked to that is I'm a teacher and I'm interested to find out if there are any low-cost changes that I can implement in my classrooms to create a more inclusive learning space. Yeah, I think that goes back to, again, we talked about it earlier, it's being giving children the opportunity to move around because yeah. as soon as you tell a child who's beginning to get, um, you know, is their anxiety levels are, are rising, you've got to sit still and you've got to be quiet. Mm. It gets worse. Mm. So I think it's enabling kids to move around. It's being able to change the learning space to suit the type of learning they're doing. Mm. So we, we suggest things like have flip top tables. So when you've got something where children need to get rid of some energy and they need to be a little bit more creative, move the furniture out of the way and let them be more creative. So that's a real simple thing. Mm. I also think it's um, something they, I went and looked at a school not long ago and they do this really good thing where children who, and it's not, 
neuro, it's all children. Yeah. If children are struggling with something that's going on in the classroom, it's either noise or they're feeling intimidated or they're feeling anxious or whatever it may be, they have this little set of coloured cards mm -hmm. that they have under their book. Yeah. And if they need to step away from the situation, they just push the colour card from yeah. under their book and the teacher sees it yeah. and the child walks away and there's no, well, where are you going? Yeah. And I think that's that's a, a really And you're touching thing. then on about the expectation then, aren't you? Because what you're, the message that you're giving that child is, yeah. it's okay. however you need to be right now, it's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with you. You're exactly. not doing anything. You're, you're enough. Exactly. You're, you're fine. Yeah. Just tell me what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the story that you want to carry through. So that as adults, they're not carrying this narrative of like, I can't do something, exactly. there's something wrong with me. And it is also that thing you go back to touch as well. I think that's, I don't know fidget if you toys. have this, Tony, but it's having things you can yeah. fidget with and not mm. being told. When I was young, it was stop fidgeting, sit yeah. still, sit yeah. on your hands. Sit in your hands. Whereas yeah. actually what you need to do is be able to do this. And if yeah. it means you pick up, you know, a, a, something that's made of material or you have like a little velvet yeah. squishy ball mm. that's what you need so even if in a classroom that's what you had you had a set of different textured things that mm. you could move around mm. and it does go back to that thing of saying there are things you can do in the classroom but actually what you need to allow kids to do is just to be able to do what they need to do yeah and if they need to be able to get up if they need to be able to pick up this squidgy fidget ball yeah. so they do it yeah. yeah and that doesn't need to cost a lot of money yeah but it just gives them this yeah. ability to noise cancellation here headphones exactly. as well you know they, they don't cost a lot and you know my son wears them because yeah. he says to me if i don't wear them i can't concentrate yeah. if i can't mm. concentrate i don't do my mm. work absolutely i think it's also it's for the different just thinking about this teacher as well it's it's hard to shift that mentality because if you've got kids that need to be moving around from the outside, it looks disruptive, doesn't it? Yeah. So your colleague walks past the corridor and you've got these kids all moving around. And for me, it's about kind of feeling a bit confident and a bit pat in a bit empowered in yourself to say it's okay like yeah, these kids yeah, yeah. are moving around everyone's still learning like I'm comfortable that I'm still teaching them what they need to know mm -hmm. and I can exactly. do things a bit differently exactly and that's, that's free well exactly that's the point you don't need to spend money do you yeah. it's just about changing because if you've got we think again about all those people around the table yeah. you see someone that's really good at something and you know where that can fit in your mm. business like put them onto that mm. because they're going to thrive there and mm. ultimately that's going to help your business mm. and it creates that virtuous cycle that mm. we're talking earlier about the person feels good the business feels good Absolutely. the leader feels good it, it you know and the outcomes are good yeah yeah that was so great we could have talked for ages yeah, we could have <laughs> gone on all day <laughs> we have. so yeah i think we've all had a really good conversation haven't we yeah i think this is a good time to hand over to steve and chloe thanks everyone i thought that was a great insight into neurodiversity and inclusive design and I hope everyone watching enjoyed it. If you'd like any further information about today's green room, head over to y.lyrico.com. Thanks again for your attention. We'll be back soon with episode three.